Talk to our friend Barry Spuga, who wrote a great column on the Nationals today. You want two things out of your columnists? I mean, it's nice when they're good writers and eloquent with their words, and Barry is one of the Certainly best that. in the country. The other is you want honesty. You want candor. You don't want them pulling punches, and Barry did not today. Knocked the boys around when they needed it a bit with uh, candor and honesty, and, and nothing he said is unfair. The Nats aren't just bad. They are hard to watch is the headline. There was a paragraph that I just want to frame. Cutoff man, this is Victor Robles. Victor, this is the cutoff man. You guys should get to know each other. <laughs> what a line. Barry, thank you for the time. How are you? Uh, I'm great, Grant. Thanks for uh, having me, and thanks for reading. So, Barry, let's start with Robles before we get to the team at large. We're still doing this. So, in, in 2019, I remember, early in the season, infield was back, Robles was on third, and Little League kids, you know, middle school kids, high school kids, no, hey, the infield's back. A ground ball to any of the infielders. They're giving up the run. Jog home, cartwheel home, crawl home, whatever you want. Grab out to the, to the second baseman. He didn't score. I was irate about it, whatever. Four years later, we're still doing this stuff with him. What gives there? So that actually, Danny, I think is, is not only a frustrating thing as a viewer or a fan, but it's a meaningful thing for the franchise because if there's a path back to competitiveness, it would you know, be incredibly helped by – of Victor Robles, that is, you know, what he was supposed to be. The you pick a number, third, fourth, seventh best prospect prospect in baseball about six or seven years ago. He doesn't have to be a superstar, but if he were to learn and improve and and not be really what he was most of 2019 without the boneheadedness, then he'd be an asset, not a problem. And I, I think, I mean, I think he's a fascinating case for this team because either you need a center fielder long-term or you don't because you have him in-house. Um, if he were to, to somehow find himself, that would be a, a box that this franchise could could check that right now you can't check because it's not just that he's struggling at the plate. It's that he continues to do the stupid stuff he's done for years. And it's not – he could be a gold-glove center fielder except – he throws, he airmails like everybody in the ballpark, and he did it last night in the tenth inning. I mean, mm-hmm. it didn't show up, but I, I put it in the in the column because, like, you know, the reliever backed up third base, and, and no one no one advanced, and it, it didn't end up being a big deal. Dude, like, throw the ball to the right person. You don't have to be a hero every single time. So I, I, I I'm with you, Danny. Like, it's repeat with this guy, and we should be at the point where you're saying. You have talent. You should be a plus-plus defender in center field and an adequate um, offensive player and a plus base runner. And just out of sheer mindlessness, you're, you're not. Yeah, I think all the time about what they could be if Robles had hit, and I don't mean literally with his bat, but as a prospect, and if Carter Keeble, my first-round pick, became what he was supposed to. I mean, those two guys, the value that they had at one point, what they were supposed to be, like that's industry or I should say franchise altering, right? When your your oh. top infield, your top outfield prospects just kind of fizzle. And and you know, Grant, like if 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 you solve a problem in house with a, I mean, let's get all you know baseball speak, like a zero to three guy, a guy that's getting paid whatever 
salary you assign him that hasn't even reached arbitration yet, that gives you enormous flexibility with the rest of your roster. And and they did that in in 2019. I mean, they they had Robles and Soto at salaries that were minimal, and and that way you could afford Anthony Rendon in his last year of of arbitration, which was a large number. You could have the large number of Scherzer. I mean, all of that is a, an equation. You can't have an entire lineup and and rotation and bullpen of guys you've plucked from other organizations, either in free agency or trade, unless they're younger and at the point in their salary structure where they don't cost you that much. So that's that's you know it's frustrating to watch what's going on now because so few of the pieces of the future are on the field of, on a night-to-night basis. And that's why I, I would, you know, whatever. We can all be sick of how Victor Robles plays. If he flips it around and becomes something that's a plus rather than a minus, that's not just big for Victor Robles' career. That's huge for the transformation of the Nationals. And happy birthday to Victor Robles. That's today, fitting, turns out. <laughs> 25 years old. <laughs> So I, like you and like Danny and like the, the fans of this team that are plugged in, we all kind of knew what we were getting into with this club this year. We, we went in eyes wide open here. This was not going to be pretty. Mike Rizzo talks all the time about my job's to build the 90-win team and give it to the manager. They're not in that mode anymore. I, I don't think he necessarily was allowed to or tried to or whatever. We, however we got here, this is not a 90-win team. We all knew what this was going to be. But even by the standards, Barry, of me looking at the rotation and going, oh, this is going to be bad. And looking at the bullpen or the lineup where they'll say this Escobar plan every day and, and some of the things you're dealing with, even by that standard, this has been way worse than I thought. Same here. Like the the the, the Benny Hill music defensive plays and, and the it's just hard to watch as you wrote about. Like, Did I just forget how tough it is when your team is this bad every single night because it's been 10 years or what? No, I think it's I think it's more than that, Grant. I think it's the the particular brand of baseball they're playing right now. I mean, one, it's it's who's doing it, right? It's it's Alcides Escobar and D. Strange Gordon and Michael Franco and guys who are absolute definition of placeholders. They have no history with the club and they have no future with the club, so they're just like wearing the laundry and embarrassing themselves on a nightly basis, particularly defensively and with the, you know, just awful base running and all, all of that stuff. I think that there's a way, there was a way for this club to acquit itself well on a nicely nightly basis. And that would be to play clean games and to make the plays you're supposed to make and to not run into 13 outs on the base paths, which is what they have done. They've run out, they've run into six outs at third and seven outs at home you, okay, chalk some of that up to like, oh, we have to be aggressive to, to score runs. You know, to see Juan Soto and Josh Bell get thrown out at third on the same play, um, you just lay the Looney Tunes theme over that stuff. And, and, and it's to the point, guys, where like the Marlins broadcast, I wouldn't watch some of this, rewatch some of the stuff on, on the Marlins um, highlights. You know, if, if the Miami Marlins broadcast team is saying, well, what you'd say is like throw a ten over that circus. Like that's not a good spot to be at. That's that's more than we're rebooting, we're rebuilding. That's in the moment we're a laughing stock. And you can't if you're somebody who's overseeing the the baseball operations, you can't dismissive dismiss that as 
oh, it's all part of the process. You have to acknowledge that there are fans who are being like, I don't want to watch that. I'm not going to tune into this anymore. I'm not going to buy a ticket. I don't want a hot dog. Like I'll save myself the trouble because you haven't, you're making a mockery of the game. And what I want, even if I'm buying into the, to the rebuild, I want to see who's part of our future. I want to see a coaching staff that can get an honest effort out of um, whoever they're running out there. Nobody here is in a great position because it's difficult to go through this, particularly after you're coming off to, uh, you know, basically a decade of trying to contend. But what they're doing nightly now, uh, throwing the ball around the yard, is, is, in my view, not acceptable. So, Barry... There's a couple clouds hanging over this organization, right? When it comes to a potential ownership change, which you were, you know, right there reporting on when it when it broke. Then this Masson thing, and I'm not suggesting those things are, are the reason why Mikel Franco is not a good defensive player, right? There's no direct correlation there, but there's still some clouds hanging over this thing. And then you kind of rewind to this offseason where wasn't much activity, and their biggest acquisition was a guy they're probably hoping to trade here in a couple months who hasn't gotten off to a great start in Nelson Cruz. I, I sort of wonder. We always talk about this with the commanders how you know Dan Snyder's not missing any tackles but there's some correlation here when an organization doesn't do things right and they don't win that many games it just kind of feels like things aren't great right now for this Nats organization with all these other things hanging over them I'd love you to kind of speak to that well and I think if, if you put the other thing that's hanging over them Danny is Juan Soto's entire situation right yeah. so the Buster only like other other execs are um, rival execs are saying, "Hey, maybe the Nationals would try to trade him." Like that, to me, is almost more important than than anything. Um, how many games they lose, how, how they throw the ball around the yard, whatever. Like that's that's the thing because I believe, I really, really believe that this isn't just. Yeah, I, I take him over Ron Lacuna Jr. I take him over Fernando Tatis. We can debate this ad nauseum, but like for me, he's the guy, he's the hitter. And so um, the noise of that, of, of Soto's situation, even when you control him years out uh, is a big deal and it's tied into. And, and so here's, here's why I kind of am, I, I respect Buster only as a, as a reporter. And I think that those execs said exactly that to him. And I absolutely believe there are people who, um, think that maybe they will try to move Soto this summer. T- to me, you can't answer that question until you know who is going to be potentially signing the check on the other side. Mm-hmm. So my understanding of this baseball ops uh, administration, this staff, is that they went into spring and they were in the offseason and, and that you wake up every day and you say, What's the best way to try to keep Juan Soto here long term? If they have turned away from that, that is news to me. And I just have to believe that trade or sign, all of that is on on pause. And the answer comes from who's on the other side of that ownership situation. Is it a Steve Cohen type who would be brazen and say, I'd make my money someplace else and I don't need to make money here and I need to win a championship and blah, 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 blah. Is it a Ted Leonsis in some sort of par- partnership with David Rubenstein who has a long history of, for good and bad, keeping his homegrown stars at home? That's Alex Ovechkin and Nicholas Backstrom, who are capitals for life. That's John Wall, who was kept here probably longer than a lot of people would have. That's Bradley Beal, 
who's still here, even though the franchise is not going anywhere. Like those questions matter. I, I to me, trying to solve the Juan Soto puzzle. Um, and I know you didn't ask directly about this, but in terms of things that overhang, overshadow the the entire operation, I don't I don't think the Juan Soto puzzle is solved this summer unless we know who the owner is and where this is going forward. Because right now we don't know that. So I think that's so true. Yeah. And I've kind of got two thoughts I've been kicking around, and I want to see what you think about these. The first is that Soto would not in any way be traded before the next owner took over anyway because he might be your biggest asset. Like in terms of selling a team, selling a team with Juan Soto on it, it seems like to me a no-brainer to get the most possible back. He's one of the biggest stars in the sport, as you mentioned. That's kind of my first take. My second one would be, the only path I even see to retaining Juan Soto would be with a different new ownership group based on what I know about this ownership group and, and their relationship with Boris and Boris and the money he'll want and all that. It would take a, our own Steve Cohen it would, in D.C. It would, it would take the Nats getting the, the, the Bezos-type owner to just come sign the, him to $500 million bucks. What do you take, make of those two takes? I don't think you're wrong. I, I just think so. Say the learners were not going to sell. I I don't think it was crazy to think that Soto could sign here long term before uh, before free agency. I know that goes against Boris's operation. He d- generally doesn't do that. It's not unprecedented. He has done it. He's done it with Steven Strasburg. I think that's a different um, different equation. But I I, I don't think. If it was just like, oh, the learners are going to own this team in perpetuity, I don't think that that necessarily meant that the guy was going to walk to free go to free agency. Absolutely, I would have put that as the favorite, like maybe seventy of thirty, but I, I don't think it was abs- absolute. Um, I just think that you have to you you have to know who's going to be signing the checks. And to your point, Grant, when when the learners when we broke the story about the learners potentially selling and i believe they will sell um i had a genuine question of oh hey as a as a prospective buyer um what's better is it better for you to come in and not have any long-term commitments on the books and be like strasford's done at this time corbin's out in two years like i just want to wipe the slate clean or is it better to have juan soto locked up for 12 years and 500 million dollars whatever whatever the numbers are and the more people I talked to, the more people were like, no, you want the asset locked up. Like, he's that important. People will understand that. That's a value to the franchise. Um, you, would, you would be well served to have him locked up. So I get the, the trade chatter, and, and um, I understand that, that rival executives might say, like, well, if I were in that chair and I didn't know who was going to own me and I knew I was dealing with Boris and I might not be able to get it done – I might as well cut my losses and get a huge haul right now and say to the potential new owners, look, the major league product is terrible, but we've got this farm system that we can tell you is going to be is stocked. Um, and in three years, you're going to be not only in position with homegrown players, but you're going to have the cash to sign free agencies to fill in the holes. I, I get all that. I just, I just don't think I don't, if you were to put a gun to my head right now, there's no way that Juan Soto is getting traded this summer. That's that's my feeling. Barry, excellent column and great with us as always, buddy. Appreciate the time, man. Thanks, guys. Appreciate we'll it. We'll see you, buddy. Be well. Go read the column. It's really good in the Washington Post. Barry Sferluga with us on Grant and Danny. Whoa! 